Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're all having a great Monday. This is Dr. Dennis Tian, Dr. Football Podcast at NFL Football Doc on Twitter. It's Monday. It was a beautiful fall weekend in New England, and uh, I completely wasted it watching football all day on Sunday. Just a gorgeous day spent in my basement, and I have absolutely no regrets about any of it because it was a great day of Sunday. I definitely miss not having the Patriots on on Sunday when they're not on, but but it was great to see all the other games too, and there were definitely some worthy games to talk about. You know, things changed fast in the NFL in 2019, uh, even compared to like 20 or 25 years ago. And the era of a three-year plan or a five-year plan, I mean, those are long gone right now, and it really does go from year to year. So I think it's time we have to bury the 2017 Eagles. Because right now, that championship team, which was a great team, okay, is long gone. What you have now in 2019 is you have a really lousy football team wearing those same uniforms. You know, when the Eagles started the year, right from the first week, right from the beginning, they looked lousy. They, they fell down in the first half to a really bad Redskins team that we've seen since then is one in six, has fired coach, instability at quarterback, really all over the franchise. And the Redskins put on a good show in Philadelphia. The Eagles were lucky to win that game. It wasn't quite as close as the score indicated, but that was a competitive game for three quarters. And that was your first clue that there was something wrong in Philadelphia. And then they come out the next two weeks. They get embarrassed going to Atlanta on Sunday Night Football. The Atlanta Falcons, who we now know are 1-16, their only win comes against the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz had a quarterback rating of 6 in the first half against the hapless Falcons, who can't stop anyone. And they managed to stop and slow down that Eagles team. Then they come home. They do the notorious move of canceling Wednesday practice, which is something that is so unorthodox, especially for week three. They cancel practice. They look hapless and out of sync against Detroit. They give up a kickoff return for a touchdown, and they lose at home to Detroit. And at that point, I think it was right to question them. They come out the following Thursday, and they look like the Eagles of 2017 at Green Bay. How do you make sense of any of this? I mean, Green Bay is one of the best teams in the NFC. All I can say is that I think we've learned to take those Thursday night results with a grain of salt. You listen to that podcast that week. I had said, you know, that game is a different game if it happens on a Sunday. Because those the Packers needed that extra couple days of rest. They didn't look like they had that physical edge on defense in that game. And the Eagles took advantage of it. I think if it played that game three days later, it might have been a very different looking game. But the Eagles look great. On national TV, Thursday Night Football, big audience, and it made me think that the Eagles maybe turned the corner. How many times have we seen the Patriots start slow and then figure it out and look great by the end of the year? I thought that's what was going to happen with the Eagles. Why? Because I'm still stuck in that Super Bowl pedigree from 2017. I'm still stuck on even that last year's team, 2018, that made a great run coming down the stretch with Nick Foles again. But this team in 2019 is not that at all. They are a bad football team. They can't stop anyone. They can't stop any passing game. Their defense is beyond bad. It's it's really pathetic. It's getting worse. They're currently 25th in points per game allowed, right behind Cleveland and Cincinnati. 
But they just looked awful the last three weeks. They just looked awful. I think another problem is, I think Wentz is a very good quarterback, but I think we're seeing more and more that maybe he's not a great one. Now, I kind of came of the opinion that Carson Wentz was like the next guy to step into that top echelon. He was going to be in that Rodgers, Breeze, Brady echelon. And I think we're seeing that that maybe isn't the case, whether it was the ACL injury or whether he just wasn't that good. He's more in that next level down. He's still a good quarterback. And it's hard to dump what's happening to this team on his feet. You look at his numbers, and they're not bad. They're really not. But he's not a great quarterback. He's not he's not a generational quarterback, which I think what we all hoped he would be in 2017. We saw him go for that MVP until he got hurt. Now, the Eagles aren't dead yet. They really aren't because – They have a tough schedule coming up for the next month. They're playing three playoff caliber teams, and then they're going to Chicago. They got Buffalo. They got the Patriots. They got the Seahawks and the Bears in some order in there. But then after that, their schedule gets really easy. They got the Giants a couple times. They got the Dolphins. I think they got another one against the Redskins. Um, There's another softball in there somewhere. So, And then they still play the Cowboys at home in Week 16. So in a weak NFC East division where someone's got to make the playoffs, I don't think the Eagles are dead yet. But don't tell me that team is a Super Bowl contender. They're not. And the only reason we're even thinking that they have any hope of turning it around is because we got 2017 fresh in our memories. 2017 is over. That's ancient history in the NFL today, two years ago. Right now, the Eagles are a mediocre to sub-mediocre team. Their only reason they're not totally out of it right now is because they play in a weak division. And they are by no means a Super Bowl You know, as I said on the podcast last week, I really couldn't figure out why the Seattle Seahawks were not favored at Cleveland. And I know it's tough to come from west to east and that whole thing, but but the Seahawks are a much better team than the Browns. But when I watched the first two drives of that game last week, I instantly knew why that Vegas thought Seattle was going to have a tough time in Cleveland. And it's because they couldn't stop the Browns running game. That Seattle team has a major problem stopping the ground game. And it was very much evident against the Browns last week. But Freddie Kitchens and the Browns are not a good enough coaching staff and were not smart enough to make the Seahawks pay for it. Instead, they put the ball in the hands of their young quarterback and he made enough mistakes to let the Seattle Seahawks win that game. John Harbaugh is a much better coach than Freddie Kitchens. And yesterday, he didn't make that same mistake. Okay? Seattle's now 5-2. and two. I'm looking at the team and I'm wondering, how are they doing it? How? And the answer is really simple. It's because they have the best player in the NFL, or one of the best players in the NFL, and Russell Wilson as their quarterback. And he covers up for a lot of weaknesses, a la Aaron Rodgers a few years ago, just like him. Because to me, in 2019, Russell Wilson is my MVP right now. But when you look at that roster on both sides of the ball, you have to see that this is a lot less talented a team, and there are some pretty big gaping holes on that roster, and not the least of which is they can't stop the run. And it was definitely on display yesterday against Baltimore. Now, Pete Carroll is a great coach, and I'm left asking myself as I watched this game yesterday, how is it that Pete Carroll, a defensive coach, one of the best defensive coaches of his era, it I hate to say that because I still have a hair across my backside for Carroll from when he was in New England, but he's one of the best coaches of his era. Let's just face it. He's definitely one of the five best coaches in the NFL. How does he not figure out a way 
to stop that gimmick offense with Lamar Jackson. Let Lamar Jackson beat you with his arm. Let them throw screen passes. Let them run the ball. But don't let Jackson beat you with his legs. A few weeks ago, when New England went to Buffalo, it was very clear. New England was going to let Buffalo beat them in any number of ways, but they weren't going to let Josh Allen beat them with his legs. They put on a clinic in stopping quarterback scramble, QB spies, keeping contained on the edge, okay, not over-pursuing, finishing tackles. It was a clinic. Okay, Seattle couldn't do that. I don't care if you have to put two spies on the guy. I mean, you got to do something. You can't let Jackson beat you with his legs like he, they let him. Make him beat you with his arm. I hear so much the last few weeks, well, Jackson's a better passer. He gets the ball downfield better than we give him credit for. And I say to myself, I say to myself, oh, really? Because he completed 9 of 20 passes yesterday for 143 yards. I mean, Jackson's a better passer because people think of him like a running back. So, yes, is he better than, than what we give him credit for? Probably. He's not that bad. But this guy can't throw the ball downfield consistently. Even a couple of those passes yesterday were, were kind of lobs and heaves that landed in the right place. Hey, give him credit for that. That's a skill set. Aaron Rodgers is showing that for years. But don't tell me Lamar Jackson is a great passer right now. He's not. He's not a good passer. He's not even an average passer. He's a below-average passer still. I mean, he's an NFL quarterback. So, of course, he can throw the ball down the field. Okay, 9 of 20 for 143 yards yesterday. But look at his rushing numbers. 14 carries for 116 yards and a touchdown. Killed the Seahawks with his legs, especially in the second half, especially on that last drive, that eight- or nine-minute drive there when Seattle, okay, needed to stop desperately. The Ravens were pinned on their own two-yard line, and the Ravens proceeded to have a nine-minute drive to kill the clock, take a two-score lead, and effectively end the game. How Pete Carroll could let Lamar Jackson beat him with his legs in that spot is beyond my understanding. Because Seattle looked like they, they, they weren't spying the quarterback. The spy was out of place when he was there. They lost contain on their ends. And overall, if you're going to lose to Lamar Jackson, let him beat you with your arm. But the Seahawks didn't do that. Now, on the other side of the ball, the Ravens look like they're one of the best teams in the AFC. They're 5-2 and two now. They just made a big trade for Marcus Peters. That's a huge get for them. And it really affected the game yesterday. That pick six that Peters had without question changed the outcome of that game. I think Seattle still finds a way, played a way to win that game if that play doesn't happen. But the Ravens are still very much a flawed team. They have a game against the Patriots coming up in two weeks. We're going to see... If the one-trick pony, that is the Baltimore offense, okay, can answer New England's defense. And if anyone can stop and provide the league with a roadmap to, to answer this trickster offense that the Ravens and Harbaugh are running, you better believe it's Bill Belichick. So I'm really looking forward to that game. It's going to be one of the two best teams in the AFC. But as of now, you have to give credit to Jackson and the Ravens. They're 5-2, and two, and they're looking great. The Seahawks, I think, are still a contender in the NFC just because they have Wilson and Carroll. But there are holes on that roster for sure. Chicago Bears are a great franchise. They have great fans. But one thing they've never had is a franchise quarterback. And I got news for you. One thing they still don't have is a franchise quarterback. What the Chicago Bears did in 2017 is shaping up to be the draft screw-up of a generation. 
In the 80s and 90s, it was about Dan Marino and all the teams that passed to Marino. The Patriots took Eason. The, the Chiefs took Blackledge. I think the Jets might have taken Ken O'Brien over um, over Marino. But that was, what the, that was the draft screw-up of that generation. This generation's draft screw-up is going to be taking Mitchell Trubisky over Watson and Mahomes, the two best young quarterbacks in football. And you passed on them to take Mitchell Trubisky at number two. That is a franchise-killing move. That will alter the landscape of the league for the next 10, 15 years. Okay? Now, what we're seeing in Chicago is not all Trubisky's fault. I hear so much about, all oh, the Bears have skill position talent. Do they really? Do they really? Their number one receiver is Allen Robinson. I mean, come on. And they blew draft picks. They've tried to bring in receivers. They took that kid Kevin White three or four years ago. He stunk. I mean, they've tried to bring in players. It just hasn't worked. So it's not all Trubisky's fault. But that Bears offense is pathetic. And Trubisky is not a good enough quarterback to really overcome the deficiencies. In fact, I go so far as to say that even if they did have good talent on that offense, Trubisky would be more of a liability than an asset because that's what he looks like right now. That team had nine drives of less than 10 yards in the first three quarters yesterday. Nine times they got the ball and couldn't get 10 yards. That is Bad offensive football. The only touchdown they scored in those first three quarters, and don't be fooled by the 25 points they put on the board. It all came during garbage time. The only touchdown they scored in those first three quarters was a kickoff return by Corderell Patterson. You take that out, and they were effectively blanked through three-fourths of that game. All we've heard about is the Bears' defense, the monsters of the midway, they're mentioned with the Patriots and the 49ers and the Packers as one of the best teams in football. Well, yesterday they were knocked around by a better offensive line. And they didn't look ferocious at all. They didn't look monsterly at all. They looked pretty pedestrian yesterday. In fact, worse than that. No one talks about the Saints defense. But that team's won six games in a row without Drew Brees. And to me, you know, this, their, their beauty is more than skin deep right now. They have so much more to that team than than the passing game, clearly. And that's showing. Because how else do you win six in a row with a backup quarterback? And Teddy Bridgewater, hey, he's doing a great job. He really hasn't moved the ball downfield very well in terms of the passing game until arguably yesterday. Up until that point, he was managing the game, and it was their defense that was winning games for them. Why isn't anyone talking about the Saints' defense? Why isn't anyone talking about the Saints' offensive line? Right now, and I'm a Patriots fan, but I will 100% admit that the Saints at 6-1 are the most complete and best team in the NFL right now. Patriots have more holes and deficiencies than the Saints do. Okay, that team is a team on a mission, and they are out for vengeance for what happened last year. They have a complete team, and when they get Drew Brees back, they will have the one thing they don't have on display, which is the passing attack. And when they get that, watch out. Because they will become a Super Bowl favorite as the, the season moves into December. Now, the 49ers are averaging only 10 points per game. They're 6-0. and And their pads have been kind of similar to the Patriots, right? Underwhelming on offense, great defensive football. If anything, the Niners have actually had a tougher schedule than the Patriots. They've had some quality wins. They beat the Hawks. They beat the um, Rams. Patriots really even had, had good wins like that. But I'm still skeptical of the 49ers. Okay, we're looking at the two 6-0 teams. Which one's the more of a Super Bowl contender, the Patriots or the 49ers? I still think the Pats are better. Why? Because Jimmy Garoppolo still has a lot to prove. They're not winning because of Garoppolo. They're almost winning in spite of him. Yesterday, 
he was not good in that game. And I know it was not great conditions to throw the ball. I get it. But how many times have we seen Brady play in bad weather and still find a way to look at least respectable on offense? It's not exactly 70 and sunny in Foxborough all the time. And if you want to win in January and December, you're not always going to get great weather. Garoppolo still turns the ball over too much. He still looks shaky. For me to say that the 49ers are a real Super Bowl contender, I'm going to need to see Jimmy Garoppolo win games with his arm. I'm going to need to see consistency in the passing game from them and not turning the ball over. When those things start to happen, then I'll put the Niners in the top tier of the league. Until then, I'm taking Patriots, Saints, and frankly, probably even the Packers, and probably even the Seahawks over the 49ers. Everyone's questioning whether Kirk Cousins has turned over a new leaf, and why shouldn't they be? On the straight to three great performances that he's had this last three weeks, he's completed 10 touchdown passes for only one pick, over 75% of his passes, and he's averaging over 300 yards a game. So Cousins looks great. But isn't this the same we've seen from him? I mean, look at the three opponents he's faced the last three weeks. The Giants, Eagles, and the Lions, right? Well, we know the Giants are pathetic on defense. We thought the Eagles were a Super Bowl contender. Why? Because they won the Super Bowl two years ago. If we evaluate that team on what it's done this year, as we just said, they're not a good team at all. So why is it surprising that Kirk Cousins beat the crap out of them? He's been doing that his whole career. Beating the average teams, beating the bad teams, and losing to the good ones. And he beat another average team yesterday in Detroit. Now, he's looked great. And I want to give him credit. I've always liked Kirk Cousins, the player. And I'm hoping he'll turn over a new leaf. He's going to have the opportunity in the next five weeks with a couple tough games. They play the Cowboys and the Seahawks. They also play the Chiefs at Kansas City. And that would have been a great chance for him to answer his critics. But now with Mahomes out, it becomes less so. But they still get the Cowboys and Seahawks coming up again in, in three weeks and five weeks. So I love the fact that Cousins is going to have this chance to play some good teams and show that he really is what he's looked like the last three weeks, which is a franchise quarterback. You know, there are three quarterback, three coaches hired this year that, frankly, did not have the requisite experience to be head coaches. Zach Taylor, who's 0-6, Ryan Flores, who's 0-7, and, and Cliff Kingsbury. And you have to give Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals a lot of credit for what they're doing. They look like a competitive team. They're not a joke. They're 3-3, three and three, okay, and they have been very competitive all season long. They've won three games in a row right now, three in a row, and Kyler Murray looks good. Now, is Kyler Murray going to be a franchise quarterback? Is he a good quarterback? Is he an average quarterback? I don't know, but I know one thing for sure. He looks a hell of a lot better than Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen's hapless, can't even start for the pathetic Dolphins. He's already been benched two times in seven games. Kyler Murray looks a heck of a lot better than that player. So give Cliff Cliff Kingsbury some credit for having the stones to get rid of Josh Rosen and bring in the guy that was his guy, okay, and build a team that looks like they're going to be a winning competitive program in a very strong NFC South. They're not an easy out. They're not an easy out. And the Cardinals are a team to watch. They're not going to make the playoffs this year because there's just too many teams ahead of them in that conference, and the NFC stacked. But, hey, if that Cardinals team played in a different division, if they were in the AFC East or the AFC North or the NFC East, I mean, they'd be right in it right now. But I think where they are, it's going to be tough for them to contend. But you wait. That team's going to be 7-9. and nine. They're going to be 6-10. and 10. They're going to be 8-8. Eight and eight. But they're going to be competitive. And you're going to go into next year feeling good 
about that Arizona team. Feeling like they're in the right, feeling like they have the coach, feeling like they have the quarterback, and feeling like that franchise is headed in the right direction. Hey, the Packers are six and one right now, and I know they beat up yesterday on a hapless Raiders defense. They also got two, um, one defensive touchdown and another touchdown that Carr fumbled away at the goal line. You got to give some credit because that was vintage Aaron Rodgers yesterday. But I'm sorry, when I still watch Rodgers play. I still feel like he's just not quite the same player. There was a play in the first half of that game where Rodgers on a third and like three tried to hit a receiver going down the sideline and and just threw an absolute duck out there. And a few years ago, he would have thrown a dime. That would have been a strike. Now, it was a roughing the passer and they got the first down. But I still think that Rodgers is maybe 90 or 95% of what he was. A top five quarterback in the NFL, yes, but not the freak, the generational talent that we saw. Now, the Packers are going to have to – the Packers can win. Any team can win with a quarterback like that, but they have to have other things on their team to do it. He's not going to mask all their holes. Right now, they look 6-1. and one. The defense looks good. And I feel like they still have a lot to prove if they're the real complete team that they're going to need to be with Aaron Rodgers not covering up holes. It's very similar to what's happened with Brady. I mean, Brady's still a great quarterback, but you need to have a defense and some other things right now because Brady can't carry it now like he could six, seven, eight years ago. Are we ready to give some credit to the Indianapolis Colts? I've been touting that team all year. They're the best team in their division. They're 4-2 and two in the AFC South. They've beaten arguably the second and third best team in their conference in back-to-back weeks in the Chiefs and the Texans. Right now, you could make an argument with Mahomes heard that the Colts are the second best team in the AFC. One thing is for sure, I've been saying it all year, Jacoby Brissett is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Okay, he's a top 10 quarterback. And football and that franchise is not dead in Indianapolis. They're a playoff team, and they will be a tough out for whoever they come across. The Bills in Buffalo, very quiet 5-1. and one. It's very possible the Bills can move into a tie the Patriots in the near future. The Bills have an easy schedule coming up. They play the Eagles this week at home, which is a tough game. That could go either way. But then look after that. Redskins, Browns, Dolphins, Broncos. And then their schedule toughens up after that. they got Cowboys, Ravens, Steelers, and Pats. But the Bills have a very easy schedule. They have a pretty clear path to 10 wins. They also have the Jets in the last week. So if the Bills can just manage to beat the Redskins, Browns, Dolphins, Broncos, and Jets at home, then they go 10 wins. If they can beat the Steelers, okay, and the Eagles, then you're talking maybe 11 or 12 wins. So good for the Bills because they look like they're right now, if the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs for sure. And they look like they're going to be a playoff team if only because they have a soft schedule and they have a lot of winnable games. But Josh Allen is probably their biggest liability. He's basically Cam Newton with less arm talent. But I think with their schedule, it's not going to matter. I don't think any of those teams are going to challenge that defense to the point where Allen's going to have to win games consistently. Now, they got some games against the Patriots, Cowboys, and Ravens coming up. And that will be, you know, games that they may lose. But but if they walk out of this thing and they're 11-5, and 12-4 and making the playoffs, you have to call this year a big success for Buffalo. And that looks like the direction it's heading in. Okay, one final take for you. we got big Monday night game tonight. Patriots at the Jets. Something about this game just doesn't make sense to me. I, I think the Jets are 
are, are, are a much better team than the record indicates. I think that when Sam Donald's a quarterback, it's very clear that they're a different team. You saw that last week. I mean, we're not talking about even if Trevor Simeon was in there and they were kind of treading water. They ended up with Luke Falk, a third-string quarterback, can't play, not a very good player. Okay, They were really hapless, and they were really kind of paralyzed as a franchise, as a team, as long as Falk was in there. Patriots always have trouble in New York. The Jets have a good defense. They have a physical defense. The Patriots' skill position players are beat up. I think they're going to have trouble moving the ball. So why are the Patriots plus 10, 11 point favorites okay, on the road? I mean, I expect this line to be closer to 7. I know the Jets are 1-4, and four, but I think every football fan knows why that is. I think a lot, every football fan sees the flaws the Patriots have. I think every football fan sees the bad luck the Jets have had. And I think most observers look at this game and think it's going to be a close game. So why are the Patriots still favored by 10, 11 points? It doesn't make any sense. makes me wonder if Vegas thinks that the Patriots defense is just so powerful that they're just going to swallow the Jets whole and win a game. Frankly, they've been winning all year. Against the Giants last week or against the Redskins the week before where they don't get great performance from their offense, but it doesn't matter because they force turnovers, they make special teams plays, and they don't give up any points, and they kind of just swallow you up and win. So I'm predicting a close game tonight. I think it's going to be a field goal either way. Would not be surprised at all if the Jets win this game. Anyways, that's all the time I have for today. I want to thank you all for um, listening to the podcast. If anyone listened, thank you so much. I certainly enjoy making it. Enjoy the game tonight, and I will see you on Thursday or Friday with another episode. Looking forward to week eight. Take care and have a great week, everyone. That's all. Bye-bye.